everybody, and welcome to the Utah Republican Podcast. I just want to remind you this is an unofficial podcast. I don't represent the party, its views, or anything else. I do volunteer in the party, but that's my own thing. Um, mostly, I'm just here to talk to the candidates and give you an idea of where they're at, where they come from, and uh, the information that you need to make a good call, meaning an informed call, at the convention. So um, today, I'm talking to Jeff Birmingham who's running for governor. Jeff, do you want to say hello and give us a brief background, who you are and why you're running? Yeah, Chuck, good to be with you today. I'm here in beautiful Provo at my house. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, so I, I have a very different resume than anyone else that I'm running against. I've been building companies here in Utah in three main areas, real estate, finance, and technology over the last two decades. I've helped create thousands of jobs here in Utah. So economic development is not theoretical to me. It is what I have devoted my life and career to. And um, as a, you know, while I've been building businesses, I've been politically involved. I've been a precinct chair, a state and county delegate. I was super pumped that caucus night was supposed to be last night. I was holding a teletown hall instead of being with people at the caucus, which just bummed me out. But um, so I've been politically involved. I've helped raise a lot of money for Republican candidates, but I have never run mm -hmm. for political office. This is the first time. And, and the reason I'm running, I was approached about 18 months ago by some local politicos, some business leaders, et cetera, that started encouraging me to run. And at first I said, no way. Um, and then I said, maybe I have four children at home. So my youngest son is nine years old. I said, maybe when, maybe in 10 years when my kids are gone, but then I got out and started meeting with people and it, it became evident to me as I spoke to them and in my own life that the playbook that Utah has been using to stay on top is not the playbook that will keep us on top any longer. And I'm sure Chuck, you've experienced this in your life in different ways, but my commute went from 45 minutes to an hour to an hour 15 the last couple of years. Our, our children's classroom sizes went from 26 to 30 to 33, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see it in our air. We feel it in affordability. I don't know if you or any of your children have gone to look for a first home in Utah anytime recently, but it's really expensive. It's not affordable. And so there's evidence all around us that while the playbook we have been using has been good and it served us well, it's not going to be the playbook that, um, that serves us going into the future. And that's why this election in 2020 for Utah's next governor, which, by the way, is a critical election, even with COVID-19 going on and, and the health crisis and looming economic crisis that we're facing, those are all critical things. And things that we should be focused on right now, but this election remains really important. And as of right now, it's not delayed. It's going on kind of as it was at least date wise, how it was going to. And this election, it's not about yesterday's ideas, even though we have a chance to go kind of backwards if we want with one of the candidates. And it's not even about today's status quo. And there are five or so career politicians that I'm running against. It is all about tomorrow's opportunity. What can Utah become? And uh, that's why I'm running. I I'm excited to seize that opportunity. I believe that we need a politically unentangled leader 
someone who does not owe anything to anyone and some uh, and, uh, someone with a fresh perspective, not someone who grew up in politics. So that's a little bit about me. I'm happy to answer more questions about my background. And that's why I'm running. Yeah, I, I hear you on a lot of that stuff. Now, my commute has been from my bedroom to my home office for a long time, but the rest of it, I'm there with you, right? How's the traffic? And I bet you traffic has increased on that commute in the last week yeah. or so with your kids at home. Yeah, the traffic <laughs> has increased fivefold, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I hear you. I feel you. Yeah. yeah. But for those of us who are on I-15 a lot, for those oh, of, yeah. of us, which is most of Utah, that has to get, whether it's from the west side to the east side or north or south, Traffic is a major issue, and uh, we've incentivized a lot, tax incentivized, the government has tax incentivized, a lot of growth to our state. And that's, a, that's an example of a specific, quote-unquote, play in our playbook that we've used a ton the last two decades that is just mm-hmm. not smart. It's not best for the people of Utah going forward. We need a fresh perspective and a change, and I think we need a politically unentangled leader. My resume is unique in the race, and... That's why I'm running, even though it's not easy. It's, it's certainly uh, not for the faint of heart, but I'm excited to have the opportunity to serve. Yeah. Yeah. And you've mentioned traffic. Um, I live in Lehigh. I mentioned that before. Um, and if you've driven through yeah. Lehigh on I-15 lately, it's, it's a mess. And I mean, yeah, it's a mess because they're working on it. But I know that our city council had to go fight for the dollars and actually throw in a bunch of city dollars to get that done. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an issue that comes up and, you know, where are they paying attention to and where are they putting that money and, and how does it affect the, the throughput and all of that stuff? I mean, it's, it's important stuff. And it's interesting because some of the big issues that people are talking about are the day-to-day things like that. And some of them aren't. And so it's, it's definitely yeah. interesting. And, and we'll probably dive how, into How that. have you enjoyed, yeah, how have you enjoyed the Lehigh Luge up there? I mean, I'll <laughs> yeah. tell you. I'll tell you what's not a smart plan for transportation. This is going to be earth shattering. Let's not keep adding one lane at a time to I-15. I I don't know how many more lanes we can add until we're in here in Utah County, until we're in Utah Lake, you know? So that's not a smart plan. That's not a forward looking plan. Unfortunately, my wife was in a car accident um, on the, in the Lehigh Luge a couple months Mm -hmm. ago. No one was hurt. So, but our car was uh, wrecked. And it's just not, it's just frustrating. So we need a proactive governor. Um, We need government that is more proactive, that is more, that serves its constituents in a better way. That's what we expect nowadays. Mm -hmm. I want to modernize government, uh, make it more efficient, more lean, and more proactive. Again, to do that, though, I think it will take a political outsider. That, That well may be. Um, I'm a little curious, you know, and you've kind of mentioned some of these, but I just want to be clear on this. What what are some of the big or main issues that you would address as governor? Yeah, the three things that I think I, that I would focus on are, I mean, every the world's changed in the last 10 days, right? Uh-huh. So the big issue of this race is going to be the economy. I mean, we're in a health crisis right now. Everyone is doing their best with social distancing, which is good and smart. Um, But this is quickly going to become an economic crisis. The truth is that 
probably most of the fallout, most of the pain that will be felt from COVID-19 won't be health related. It will be economic. Um, everyone's going to be affected that way. So the number one priority for the next governor has got to get be to get Utah back on its feet economically. Mm -hmm. I know that's weird to say because just two, three weeks ago, we were humming along, but this will be a recession, um, hopefully not a long one. Uh, but I think, again, it's, it, it's critical that we have a governor that understands economic development. Look, there, there are not a thousand government programs that could create the most, the dynamic and vibrant economy that the entrepreneurs of the state, the people of Utah have created. And we need to empower those entrepreneurs, especially during this downturn. We need to protect small business. We need to make sure that uh, our, our economy keeps soaring. And, and that's going to be a heavy task. That's going to be an important task. Again, I would much rather tra trust a business person, someone who came economically from nothing like myself, but has created uh, lots of companies, has created thousands of jobs. I understand how the economy works. And that's going to be the number one issue, I think, now in this race. It all changed a couple weeks ago. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, and before that, I think the biggest issue is education. K through 12 education specifically, but also higher ed is changing. We need to innovate in education. I will be the innovation and education governor, no doubt about it. I've invested in a lot of ed tech startups. Technology is not um, the answer to our education issues, but it's a part of it. Um, we need to stiff arm the federal government. We need to deregulate education. I believe that, that we here in Utah know best how to uh, teach our children, how to educate our children, not the federal government. My wife, Sally, is a former second grade school teacher. And our school teachers are some of the dearest and best souls in our state. They need to be empowered to use their God-given talents to love and to teach our children. As Sally and I have visited schools all across the state, teachers feel micromanaged. They feel like we're over-testing our kids. And we are. I'll tell you one question. Chuck, I've hired hundreds of people. And a question I've never asked in any interview is, how, how do you do on standardized testing? Or how, how well do you take tests? <laughs> it's just not important. It's not relevant uh, in the information economy that we're living in. So there's a mismatch between how and what we're teaching our children in our ed current education system and the jobs that actually exist and are coming in education. We can marry that more closely, and we need to. Otherwise, Utah will fall behind we will not have the best workforce, and we need to make sure that we have a good workforce, that there continues to be good jobs, because we have the youngest state in the country, and our children and grandchildren are choosing to stay here. Mm -hmm. So real quick, two other quick, we need to pull more technical training uh, into our high schools. I'm talking about technology. There are 5,000 unfilled tech jobs. There are boot camps springing up all around the state where people can learn to code and program and then find a job. We should pull more of that into our high schools for kids that are interested in programming and coding. We need computer science in every, uh, um, every school. And then also, there's a massive skilled construction labor shortage along the Wasatch Front. I don't know if you've tried to build anything recently, Chuck, but I'm sure some of your listeners have. Yeah, yep. I'm sure some of your listeners have. It is really hard to get things done because there's just not enough workers 
So why don't we um, actually pull some of that trades work into our high schools? I have a 15-year-old son right now. He's a sophomore at Kent U High School, and uh, he loves to work with his hands, but there's just not a lot of opportunities to do so. So we need to pull more of that trades work uh, into school. So certainly the economy and education are the two big issues. And a third one real quick, and then I'll try to be quiet. Is I want to fight for rural Utah. Rural Utah needs a fighter in their corner. The truth is, Chuck, you can go not too far from where we're sitting here on the Wasatch Front and be in a whole different economic place in rural Utah. Um, I love rural Utah. I've been to all 29 counties here in the state multiple times. I've held over 500 public meetings over the last year in the state. And rural Utah um, is a great place. They need economic diversification. They need more control of their lands. The land is the basis of every economy. Every job, every business starts with the land and grows from there. And if you don't have control of your own land, it's really hard to get you know, on top of your economy. So I want to fight. Uh, for rural Utah, I want to push back on our public lands issues and make sure that we have economic opportunity uh, that's brought into rural Utah. I think a smart plan right now is for the Wasatch Front to take a little breath to get ahead of our infrastructures and traffic and, and air quality and affordability and to push the economic opportunity as far and wide into rural Utah as possible. So those are three things I would focus on or will focus on when I'm the next governor of Utah. Makes sense. And just to give you a little bit of context where I'm coming from on all of these issues. So I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I run an online business. We produce podcasts for software developers. You mentioned tech. And so, you know, I, I live in that world. Um, for education, yep. I mean, I have five kids. Four of them go to two different charter schools here in Utah County. And I'm the chair on the board of one of those schools. And so, um, you know, we talk about this stuff at least once a month, just, you know, um, being there. Awesome. And my wife is from yeah, Emory County, I... which is one of those rural areas, and we're out there yeah. all the time. So I, I hear you on all these things. Yeah, that's a beautiful place, Emory County. And let me just say, Chuck, you mentioned charter schools. We need choice in education. That's another thing we need. Choice creates competition. And competition creates better results. So the more choice that we have for our children, whether that's through charter schools, public, private, online, homeschooling, I think the better results for our kids. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So, um, so let's let's back up a little bit um, before we because I want to dive into some of these areas specifically. But before we do that, you mentioned yeah. coronavirus. So let's yeah. imagine that we wake up a week or two ago, and given the information you have, you wake up, you're in the governor's mansion, right? You're, you know, you're inhabiting uh, Gary Herbert's life, whatever. Um, you know, what do you do about the coronavirus? I mean, I guess you have some, you know, benefit of hindsight if we go back two weeks, but what would you be doing right now, given what we know? Yeah, this is a time for bold action. I mean, there are two um, important parts of the coronavirus. One is public health and safety. And that is one of government government's unique roles is to protect public health and safety. And so it's a hard to balance that with the economic fallout that we're mm -hmm. experiencing, right? But I, th I happen to think that bold action here is what matters. I think that if we can be good at social distancing, if we can be smart here and kind of bite the bullet for a couple weeks, 
that we can flatten the curve and get back to life as normal as quickly as possible, not overrun our health facilities. And so I think some of the distancing measures has, have been good for public health, but we need to quickly turn to the economy. And I actually called on the governor over a week ago to use our surplus. We have a massive surplus in the state of Utah. And that's been created by entrepreneurs like yourself, Chuck. It's been created by the industriousness and hard work in the, of the people of the state. Let's use the surplus to help um, our small businesses, to help um, our individuals and families that are, that are going to suffer economically from this crisis. So that should be more of a focus. I think we need more bold leadership in that regard. Uh, and that should be the focus, uh, certainly going forward. We need to continue to uh, take good health precautions. We know them all. Take your vitamin C, wash your hands, mm -hmm. um, social distance. We got that. Let's do that. Let's support that. If we do that, we will flatten the curve. And I know it's painful right now. I'm an extrovert. And it's funny. I have some introverts in my home and I have some extroverts. The extroverts are suffering in here and the introverts are kind of loving it. Uh, but, uh, you know, let, let's bite the bullet here and do that. And then uh, we can get back on our feet uh, quicker, get back to normal and uh, have our economy revving. But we need a smart plan for that. We need bold action to protect our economy uh, right now. Yeah. What would a plan like that look like, though? Oh, there's, I mean, there's several things that we could do. Um, how about, I mean, my, my mind immediately goes to like the necessities. Um, you know, I don't know if we're going to talk about tax reform, but um, we'll get there. You promise. know, like we can, yeah, which is great. I'm happy to talk about it, but uh, we could immediate, let's cut the food tax in 2020. No food tax. Everyone needs to eat. Everyone's suffering economically. We should cut the food tax in 2020. So there's a plan. One, two, let's cut the income tax in 2020. Let's cut the income tax right now. Let's use the surplus that we're sitting on to continue to fund education in a meaningful way. And let's provide relief for families and for small businesses um, in the state. Number three, why don't we, and these are just coming, you know, these are just things I've thought of in the last week, but number three, let's, um, Let's roll forward. You know, tax day got pushed back to July 15th. Mm -hmm. Let's roll forward. Um, let's let's have the tax losses that we that companies experience in the first half of 2020 be able to be applied to 2019 tax bills. That will cut taxes. That will keep more money in the pockets of small business and families. So I think those are all um, smart things that we can do. Uh, in terms of the economy. The other, if I could just mention one other quick tangent, um, we need to bolster our healthcare workers. So the other thing that I asked the governor to do a week or so ago is to immediately recognize cross-license, like cross-border, state-border licensing for any health workers and for those health workers that are maybe dormant or have been out of the business or retired for mm -hmm. a number of years. Let's allow them to bolster our health network now before we're in crisis. Let's activate them. Let's have them be okay to pitch in and help if the situation gets bad. Um, we can do that in one day with no fees, and, and we need that. I mean, I've talked to, you know, dozens of healthcare workers, and they are 
they're ready to serve. They're ready to help us, but they're very apprehensive about what's coming. And um, there's some thoughts for you. Yeah, that ma- that makes sense. Now, imagine in a normal economy, what what kinds of things would you change? Because a lot of these measures feel like, and the way that you put them forward, sound like they're things that, hey, we could do this now to take some pressure off and put us in a position to where when people can come out and start to work, they can go back to work and things won't be as, as I guess, close to falling apart as they otherwise would be. So in a normal economy, what, what would you change? Yeah, well, two high-level thoughts. Number one, government doesn't create business. I mean, government doesn't, sorry, government doesn't create jobs. Entrepreneurs create jobs. So two things that I would do in the good old days, a couple of weeks ago with our economy is number one, I trust our entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurs in this state, they have a, they, they've got it on lock. They know how to build companies. They know how to create jobs. They're building the most vibrant and diverse economy in the country. Let's empower them to do their thing. Uh, so the more free the entrepreneurs are to innovate and to work, the better our state will be, in my opinion. I don't think it's government's role to put it in the hand, its hand on the scale of business. I don't believe government should be in business. So let's empower entrepreneurs, number one. Number two, um, I mentioned this real briefly a couple minutes ago, but one of the plays that Utah has used a ton is we have tax incentivized a lot of outside companies into our state. And that is just not a smart plan. It's not good for the state of Utah. It's not good because we don't um, – we're not nurturing and growing our homegrown companies. We create an uneven playing field for outside business. Um, and so that's something that I would stop immediately. I, I, don't, I don't think that GoEd should be tax incentivizing uh, outside companies here to the state. The other reason it's not a smart plan, while it may look good for politicians to say, hey, we're number one in this and this and that and everything, it may look good for politicians to take a picture with whoever, big, you know, Facebook, hey, look who I brought to the state. It's not good for the people because all those people that we bring here, they crowd classrooms, they drive on our roads. Um, And so it's not a smart plan. When we have a raring economy, when our economy is revving and growing, it's not a smart, growth is the issue, uh, has been the issue in the Mm -hmm. state. And it's not a smart plan to dump gasoline on a roaring fire our economy is roaring you know no reason to dump uh, gasoline on that via tax incentive especially when these big companies are not paying their fair share yet uh, their employees are utilizing all the services we do again that's a recipe for hurting our quality of life along the Wasatch front our quality of life will go down if we grow too quickly there's a really simple equation where where infrastructure uh, precedes growth life is good. But where growth precedes infrastructure, quality of life goes down. And that's what we've been experiencing here in Utah, is we've been experiencing a lot of growth and not enough infrastructure. So we sit a lot more in traffic. We have a hard time uh, affording to live here. We, our classroom sizes grow. Our air quality continues to be poor. Those are all byproducts of a growing um, of growing without the infrastructure needs that we, uh, that we need in our state. That's interesting. Sorry, sorry, man. I'm like talking, I'm talking a lot. Sorry. No, that's the whole point. 
I'm I'm used to radio interviews where I have like five minutes, and so they ask a question, and then you just kind of take it away, and they say, Jeff, thanks for coming on. See you later. But anyway, I know this is a long format, a different format than maybe I'm used yep. to, but hopefully this is interesting for yeah, listeners. It, you know, I don't I don't want to be boring. Again, I have a fresh perspective. I have a different perspective in this race, and that's what I think the state needs. And if you agree with me, please. Come help me. If if you don't, I understand, and that's fine. And there are several good politicians to choose from in this race. If you if you want to continue to go down that road, yeah, it's it's interesting because in some cases, yeah, the the interviews have had things brought up that I hadn't really thought through, and um, you know, it, it's just a different way of looking at things, and I hadn't been exposed to it, so I didn't know how to respond to it. But yeah, I mean, what what you're saying makes sense to me, and so yeah, I definitely have some things to think about here. Um, I kind of want to uh, change tactics a little bit and just talk about how the state is run. So, you know, you've been talking about some of the policies that you would change to, you know, help with our growth and infrastructure and things like that. But are there things you would change about how the state is run? Well, I think just in general, like I said, we need to, um, we need to run the state in a more lean fashion. I, I believe that government is, is, terrible at almost everything it does. So let's keep government limited. That's what I believe. I'm a, I'm a strong fiscal conservative. I think the government should be very limited in its scope. I, so let's keep government lean and mean. Um, let's bring innovation to government. It doesn't make sense that we need to stand in line at the DMV for a couple hours to get a paper driver's license when we're on the verge of driverless cars. I don't understand why the DMV exists. I don't understand we, why we can't renew our driver's license like when we get our vehicle emissions and inspected, you know, unless you've been an offender of the law. I think the DMV should exist as a purgatory for people that have broken the, broken the law, oh, wow. but not yeah. for the 90, 99% of drivers that, um, so I want, so there, there's a quick idea that I just came up with, you know, around innovation. I, I want government to be more innovative. I want the employees in the state government to be empowered, to be free, to work more quickly, to work in a more modern fashion, and to be able to serve our constituents better. I plan to have in my cabinet a UX, a head of UX, you know, all, all about how constituents, their user experience with government. So how do you, Chuck, inter, interface with government? And how do we earn your trust and you have a good experience? When's the last time you called or, or had to do something with government and you left smiling or, you know, had a good experience? I don't know. Uh, you know? I, I can't I, think of what I might have heard a good joke at the DMV. <laughs> exactly. So, but like, I want to change that. And I think we should change that. Look, the, the states that are going to outperform over the next decade, the countries that are going to outperform, are those that deregulate the quickest. And that's because we're in a, in a world that's ungovernable. We're in a technology and advancing and innovating world. There is no government big enough to stay on top of the innovation that's happening. So it's a bad plan to try to do that because it's impossible. What you need to do is make sure that government is more nimble and more proactive, less reactive and more proactive to issues that are happening. So again, I, I, wanna, I want to appoint a head of user experience to my cabinet. They'll be in charge of every interface that, that a constituent has with government. And I want to make it a joy or at least 
less burdensome than inter- to interface with state government than it certainly has in the past. That's my vision for government. That's how it should work more. Um, I believe it can work more that way. These things that we're talking about are not easy. They're not going to happen right away, but it is something we can work on. It is something we can get better at if we elect someone from the private sector, someone from the fresh perspective. You know, one of the saddest things I've learned, Chuck, the last year as I've gotten into politics, thought about running, and then jumped into the race, et cetera, politicians are enablers of the political systems that have made them. And so the bigger the political system, the bigger the politician. They don't have a lot of incentive to cut down the political system. But entrepreneurs like myself and like you, we're disruptors of the status quo that make greater opportunity available to us all. And that is the overall mindset that I will bring to the governor's office, that I will bring to the bureaucracy that exists in state government. And I think it will make a massive difference here in Utah and our state government. Gotcha. All right, let's talk tax reform for a minute. What was good? What was bad? What should they have done differently? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Let's see. I've been a vocal opponent of tax reform for over a year now. I don't know how far back you want to go, but a year ago, they were, I don't know. I'm talking specifically about the tax bill that was recently repealed in the last session. Yeah, this started a year ago. They were going to tax business services. Yeah, but that's never smart. To, it's never smart to tax business inputs. So I started speaking out against the tax reform bill a year ago. I didn't like the idea of taxing business inputs. I mean, why kill or hurt the golden goose? I mean, the the economy in our state is the, is the golden goose. We continue to need good jobs for our children and grandchildren. Again, we're the youngest state in the country. So I didn't like that plan. I guess the good thing is uh, they didn't go forward with that. And they, you know, they listened some, they took some time and they improved the bill. I think the bill improved, but the latest version that came out um, just a couple months ago and then was repealed, I was still not in favor of. And there's a couple main reasons why, and here they are. Number one, the process was not transparent. Anytime you're changing taxes or raising taxes, you need to be very transparent in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And and the public was confused and it was not a transparent process. In fact, I was at the Capitol when the bill was released and it was released like 20 minutes before legislators. And this is a big, thick bill. And it was released 20 minutes, the final bill before legislators were asked to vote on it. So you didn't even know what was in the bill exactly or what you were voting for. That's not a good transparent process. And that's something that would govern me as the governor. One of the keys, if we were to have to do any tax reform, I would be transparent in the process, number one. Number two, we need to simplify the tax code, not increase its complexity. And this latest bill made it more complex. Um, And and that's not smart. We were talking about prebates and rebates. It was very complicated, very confusing. And again, we need to simplify our tax code. Every time that we complicate our tax code, we pull pull more people into it and they have to stick around to figure it out. They take more time to do that. So it's a drag on our productivity, on the quality of our lives, et cetera. So I believe that the tax code should be simplified. And this bill did neither of those. So those are two high level things that would govern me as as we go forward. These were two things that did not happen in the last tax bill. 
one, one thing that I was really opposed to and why I let out on the tax reform, I think I was the first person to sign the referendum. It was December 23rd. I spoke at the press conference at the Capitol. I, I remember it because we were supposed to run somewhere for Christmas, but instead we ran up to the Capitol with my kids and they got to listen to a press conference. We signed the referendum. Yeah, they were overjoyed and uh, it's a good learning experience. It was fun. And um, uh, one of the reasons I did is because this increased the tax on food. There are only a couple of states that, that charge the full burden of tax on food. And that's where Utah was proposing to go. And I just don't think that fits within the ethos of who we are as a state. The food tax is very regressive. Everyone obviously has to eat. And so the poor among us or the, and the most needy among us end up being hurt by um, the full tax on food more than others, such as myself, that, that can afford it. So I wasn't excited about that. I, I grew up with nothing, um, Chuck. I, I you don't, I don't have a famous father that you heard of. He's a, he's a great guy, but he's a middle manager, electrical engineer. You don't know, you know, I grew up on the quote unquote other side of the tracks. I know what it's like to be feel less than economically. And I wasn't excited for that proposition here in the state of Utah. So I, I um, fought against the food tax. I'm glad it was repealed. Um, I, I think that the tax reform, we could have done better and should have done better. And I'm glad that the people stood up and were heard and that, and that that was repealed. Gotcha. Man, I feel like I'm going on forever. Chuck, no, it's, it's good. Like no, th- that's the whole point. It's, it's so people can hear you and, and hear your complete thought on it. So I, I appreciate it. I had to grab a glass, I had to grab a glass of water. Like I'm, I'm getting, <laughs> I'm parched after all this. Yeah. That's right. We're yeah, I definitely to work. have strong opinions. Yeah, I definitely have strong opinions. I've learned a lot. Again, I've been politically active as I've been building companies, but I've never run for political office. And so I've learned a lot over the last 18 months. I'm passionate about what I'm doing. I'm passionate about the state of Utah. I'm running because I love this state. My wife and I are raising our four children here. They all go to public schools, and um, we want yeah. the state to be the best that it can. Absolutely. So uh, what are your views on Donald Trump? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a hard question to answer because um, you can never love Donald Trump enough or hate him for some people or hate him that enough. That's so for true. <laughs> so it's like so frustrating. Here's what I think. I think Donald Trump has been, what he's done has been really good. He's been a good president in, the, in terms of what he's accomplished. I love how he's rolled back regulation. I, 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 I believe in the tax cuts and the tax reform that he created. Um, I like the conservative judges uh, that that he's appointed, but the way he does things sometimes, I mean, you know, that's hard to stomach. I have children at home. I have a 12 year old daughter. And sometimes she asks me some hard questions about how he behaves and what he says and how he acts. So anyways, as, as governor, I'll work with president Trump on Utah's priorities. Um, and I, again, I like, I like the Bears years reduction that he did here in the state of Utah. That's great. Uh, I think that we can follow uh, President Trump's example in some of his policies. What we should not probably follow is the way that he gets things done, the way that he treats others sometimes, the way he talks. Um, that, so I, I plan to be a leader. I'll, be, I'll, I'll have a great relationship with Donald Trump. I mean, we're somewhat similar. It's funny. My I'm saying in terms of our background and our mentality, 
it's funny, my the same twelve year old daughter sat in a like a, literally a four hour messaging meeting at my office about a year ago. We were talking about I had several Utah politicos in our conference room. We were talking about you know, if I should run and if I did run, what the message would be and, and what I believe in and how we can make a difference and blah, blah. Anyways, my daughter sat there for three hours taking copious notes and she came, I, she, we were sitting across from each other. So she came around the long conference table and she whispered in my ear. She's like, dad, I'm three hours into this. She's like, dad, you're exactly like Donald Trump, but nice. <laughs> and then she just got up, <laughs> walked back around and, and sat back down. So uh, I hope to, you know, I hope to be like Donald Trump in some ways and how I, uh, and, and the things that we get done, the results that we get, but I want to be nice as well. And I think that's important. Yeah. I think how sense. you get things done is important as sometimes it's just as important as what you get done. Yep. Absolutely. Another person that people have been talking about is Mitt Romney, especially with the impeachment mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is again, Another quote-unquote impossible question, just because, you know, for those that dislike Mitt Romney, I can never uh, hate him enough. For those that love Mitt Romney, I can never love him enough. You know, I, I, I believe that the truth is often in the middle. It's funny. You could drive up I-15 right now and, just, and besides seeing a bunch of, um, you know, ads for different gubernatorial candidates, I think you could also see billboards for, you know, let's impeach or let's get rid of Mitt Romney and uh, mm-hmm. bravo Mitt Romney for your decision. You know what I mean? Yep. So obviously as governor, part of my job will be to work with our federal delegation to get things done for Utah. And I know all our state senators and congressmen and, and they're great people. Um, I want to work with them on public land, flexibility and education, like I said, and I'll work with every member of our federal delegation, Republican or Democrat. But like you said, what I think people are really wondering when they ask this question about Mitt Romney is how would I have voted on impeachment and what kind of Republican I am? And, and first of all, it, I don't have all the details. None of us do. I was not in those hearings or and we don't know all the details. But from what I know, if I had a vote on the articles of impeachment, I would have voted no. So I disagreed with uh, Mitt's decision on the vote. Um, and, and I'm, a, I'm a free market, a pro-life, pro-Second Amendment conservative. Um, that's what kind of Republican I am. And uh, again, I'll be able to work with our entire federal delegation as governor. I don't want to demonize anybody. I, I don't believe that's productive. Um, you know, I, I disagreed with Mitt's decision, but it's his decision to be made. And I respect him uh, for standing up and making a hard decision, even though I disagree with it. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's a hard question for pretty much everybody I put it to, but it, it kind of shades in some of the lines for people as far as, yeah, how you think about yeah. these issues and things like that. So it does help. Yeah, I hope that was helpful. I, ho- I hope my answers were helpful for people. I, I hope it was clear that I support the president, that I was not excited about Mitt's uh, vote. But I also don't – I try not to overly demonize either of them. They both have strengths and weaknesses. And, and we all do as people. We all have a lot more alike than we do different. We're all a lot more alike than we are different. Sometimes politics is all about, you know, casting things in different light and manipulation and blah, blah, blah. I just don't like that part. Again, I'm running for governor of Utah to be a leader. 
Um, the, the lens that I use in, in my run and I would use if, when I'm governor is that of leadership, problem solving, and public service. Those are the lenses that I use to, to do this. It's not really a political lens. I have a political team that, you know, that helps me with that, but that's not the part that I enjoy in this race, and it's not the part I'd enjoy either as a governor, I don't think. Gotcha. A uh, few more questions. Um, are you collecting how signatures? How long are we going? Do we, are we still having – how many people are going to hang on here? I hope you're still with us. I'm, I'm, yeah, be, I'm, I'm aiming for about an hour, so – We've got another 15 okay, minutes or cool. so. Are you collecting okay. signatures, working through the convention system, or both? Yeah, both. Um, you know, I know that this has been super political, a super political issue, but I'm not a politician. Um, all I know is I came, there were two ways to get on the ballot, signatures in the convention, and I've been running a hard, um, a hard campaign for both. The heartbreaker for me, Chuck, is in the last two weeks, all the plans that we've been working on for the last year, everything that's happened has completely changed like it has mm -hmm. for a lot of Utahns. Yeah. And there are a lot more important things going on right now than the governor's race. But at least to me and my family, for all that we put in for the last year, this is important. And I think it's a critical election in our state's history. And so I think it's an important election in the, in the state of Utah. So we need to, so um, I made the hard decision about 14 days ago, about two weeks ago, I couldn't sleep at night. When this all started going down, I had the worst night of sleep. It was the Wednesday night that Rudy Gobert was diagnosed mm -hmm. um, with the coronavirus and a bunch of other news happened. I tossed and turned terribly that night. I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. Certainly it was a trying time for everyone. I, I just, I felt like I was up every 20 minutes. I didn't know why. When I woke up though, I had clarity. And the thing that bugged me was that I had 50 friends and volunteers that day going out and knocking on 2000 doors in the state of Utah. Mm -hmm. And to pass around pens and paper and clipboards and to kind of catch people unaware and, and to potentially spread this virus while it, it was probably politically advantageous for me to continue on. I just could not do it. So within 24 hours, we had decided to stop gathering signatures. So I held a press conference that Friday. It was the day after the legislation or legislature got out. And I, um, I announced that I was stopping to gather signatures. We have over 20,000 internally verified signatures. So we were on track to, you need 28,000 to get on the ballot. So we were on track to get there, no doubt. But I just did not feel good about continuing to send friends and volunteers potentially into harm's way. And so um, we had also been running a hard convention campaign. We recruited nearly a, a thousand people to run as state delegates. Well, guess what? There is no, there was no caucus last night. So nope. that plan went out the window. So everything has changed it's been very difficult but we are focused solely on the convention now the way that i will get on the ballot is through the convention so i need the support of the 4,000 delegates in the state of utah if the people of utah deserve a non-career politician option on the ballot if they want a politically unentangled leader someone who brings a fresh and new perspective and no in, in a way that no other candidate does I'm going to need to get the support of the delegates 
um, in the convention. I plan to do that. I've been working the phones really hard. We've shifted our entire team and plan to a convention plan. And so now I am a convention only candidate and I'm trusting the delegates to help me, to help me get on the ballot. And that right. convention is one month from today. It's yeah, April it 25th. Today's March 25th. So it's one month from today. Another hard thing is it's going to be a virtual convention. So it's kind of like this, It's kind of like over the phone or, you know, I, I've held eight teletown halls in the last week since the coronavirus. I'm talking into the back of an iPhone. That is not easy, even though we've had between 10 and 300 people on these town, you know, teletown hall calls. I can't see them. They can't feel me. I can't feel them necessarily. And that's really hard for me. Um, I wish the convention were in person. I understand that it can't be because of the coronavirus, but this is going to be a convention and a race unlike any in the history of Utah. And uh, so there's a long rundown of where I've been. It's been a tough week, but I'm still fighting the best I can. Yeah, that makes sense. I am actually putting on video town halls for any of the candidates that come on the podcast. So cool. if I if I can set yeah, one, reach up, out. I'd love to. And uh, yeah, we'll put that on the the notes on this episode when we get that scheduled. Yeah, yeah, and reach out to my comms director like you did to set this up, and he can help you. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to do a video town hall or whatever you're doing. Yep, and then people can just yeah, they just jump on, ask questions. We can actually bring them on the video call with us, and you know, and then they can look at you on their screen, and you can look at them on your screen, and you can you know, just chat with them. And that, that's really what I'm trying to do because the meet and greets are critical for that. Um, I have three more questions and then I'm going to ask you how people can get involved with your campaign. Um, and I think you have, you know, you've already kind of touched on some of this, but one that you haven't really touched on yet. And this is something that's a real hot button for me is, um, and I'll start with the example of Mia Love, who uh, I'm in congressional district four. So that that's been somewhat contentious, um, campaign um but i i I can tell you that i met her one time and it was the one time where i essentially like held a hand out as she was walking back up the stairs out of the county convention and she kind of brushed my hand with her hand kind of thing right um you know other than that i never saw her at the at the conventions she had her booth set up and she wasn't there because she thought it was kind of a done deal because she was running unopposed um in the primary and then she lost to Ben McAdams, but I never saw her. And, you know, the same thing with our, our governor. Um, I know I've been in the same room with him twice, but I've never met him. And for me, it's okay. We elect people to office and then they just go and they be in office for four years. And then they come back and they do the meet and greets again so that they can get the nomination again. And so I'm wondering, what are you going to do to stay in touch with the people out here who are voting for you and supporting you, you know, be it through the convention or after the convention into the primary or even up through the general election so that we feel like we're heard when we need something from the governor? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's not inconsequential. It's important. That's just not my style. That's just not who I am. I mean, I've kind of told you and I'm really downplaying it. I've been heartbroken the last 10 days because I haven't been able to be with people. So I'm I'm saying people on the campaign trail. Mm -hmm. So I love people. I like, I enjoy being with people. And so I'll be accessible to the people. Uh, There's no one in this race who's worked harder than I have. I've had over 500 public meetings the last year. 
I mean, that's more than one a day on average where I've invited anyone who wants to come from all over the state to come join me. I've done it at libraries, courthouses, public places in every county in this state. I have been more accessible to the people than any other candidate, than probably all the other candidates combined. So obviously when I'm the governor, I'll, I'll you know, I'll have a lot of responsibilities. There'll be a lot to get done. I, I won't be able to maybe be as accessible, but I plan to continue to be as access, to be accessible by the people. Again, that's my style. That's who I am. I use, you know, it's hard to understand what you should do. I take my cues from the people. I mean, I represent the people. If I'm the governor, I'm serving the people of this state. It's really hard to do that without being in touch with them, without being with them without knowing them, you know, intimately. And so I'll be accessible. You can count on that. That's not something I'm worried about at all. And anyone who supports me shouldn't be worried about it either. And anyone that I think knows me knows that that's just not, that's not my personality. Sounds good. Um, how, do, how do you see the role of technology in government? Yeah, I spoke about this a little bit earlier, um, but, but, but let me just add something. Um, Look, I don't know of hardly any companies, certainly in the tech sector here in Utah, that if they're not using data in a smart way, you know, you've got to use data to inform decisions, to uh, improve your business. Uh, there are many companies here who are focused solely on data, but all technology companies are using data. Why can't the government do that? The government should do that. The government needs to use data to better to inform its decisions. So one thing that I haven't mentioned is that I want to ensure that we're making data-driven decisions on the government level, uh, state government level. And so I will be gathering data and I'll be using data in smart ways that has never been used for the state. This will be a massive blessing to the state because it will inform and improve decisions that we make as a state leadership. The governor really has two main powers, uh, you know, as the governor, he or she has the bully pulpit so they can rally the people and help them understand issues that are coming or that are important to them. And, and that's really the role of the governor is to see around corners and to uh, get Utah prepared for things that are coming and to make sure that we remain competitive in the best state we possibly can. The other thing that the governor does is they appoint hundreds of people. I think it's nearly 400 positions are appointed by the governor. And so I plan to bring the A team to the state capitol. I plan, I plan to bring the best and brightest in the state up there with me. Um, and, and we will use data to make decisions. We'll be savvy with technology. We'll use technology and smart ways to better serve our constituents, the people of Utah. Sounds good. The other question is also related to technology. And, uh, you know, you brought up data collection and, and, and this is part of the, the deal here is um, a lot of us are concerned about our privacy in the data that's being collected, typically by big tech companies. So what, yeah. what can you do as governor to help protect our privacy as part of the, the world we live in? Yeah, privacy is super important and it's, you know, people are becoming more aware of how big tech is using uh, information and data to, you know, with us. And so we need to protect privacy. Uh, we need to ensure that big data companies, and by the way, it's not just big tech. 
like even here in the state of Utah, how, how is the state using mm-hmm. the data they collect on us? So we need massive transparency through big technology and through even the state government uh, about the data that they're collecting and what they're doing with that data. The state you know, government has a role to protect its people, not to put them at risk because of the data that they're collecting. And there are a lot of state agencies that collect our data but are not transparent with what they do with it, how they use it, et cetera. So, uh, you know, this is another way, like I said, where the world is becoming ungovernable We can't, in the sense of innovation. This is where government needs to be nimble. It needs to be proactive. And this is an area where it needs to be proactive. How is big tech and how are we as a state government collecting data? What are we using it for? That should be absolutely transparent to the people of Utah. Privacy is important. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, um, I'm assuming that your campaign could use people getting involved, you know, whether it's donations or it's uh, volunteering to make phone calls or put yard signs up or any number of other things. Yeah. So if people want to get involved with your campaign or find out more about you and why you're running, where do they get that information? Yeah, great question. Um, when will this be published, Chuck? When will you put this up? Uh, probably tomorrow, Friday at the latest. Okay, now I get to ask you questions. So number one, if you're a, a state delegate and you're listening to this, please support me, Jeff Birmingham. Like I said, I have a unique resume in this race. My background is different. I think it's the background we need in the state. We need a politically unentangled leader with a fresh perspective. So if you're a delegate, please support me at the convention. If I'm not your number one choice, please make sure I'm at least your second choice and put me number two on the ballot. That's number one. Number two, uh, my wife Sally and I are matching every dollar that is donated to our campaign. So if you can, make a donation. We will match every dollar from our personal funds, dollar for dollar. Um, The way that you can do that is to go to my website. It's simple. It's jeffburningham.com. That's like burningaham.com. Um, so jeffburningham.com there you can make a donation and you can also see our teletown hall schedule or hopefully soon enough our public event schedule there's an event calendar there we will be accessible to you um, you can also reach out um, there's an email there i think it's info at jeff Burningham. i can't recall exactly so go to the website and if you'd like a yard sign request a yard sign put it up um, if you if there are other ways that you can help other than uh, your vote and um, you know donation, please reach out to us. We would love to have your help. We are a grassroots campaign. We are fighting for the people of Utah. I'm not a, you know, I don't have my name on uh, buildings. I don't have a big political name. So I need the help of the people of Utah to be able to win this. We fully intend to win this election. Uh, I'm looking forward to convention and I appreciate you having me on the show today, Chuck. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for coming. I just want to reiterate that's jeffburningham.com. Um, I'll have links to all that stuff, probably Facebook page and other places too that I can find. Yeah, um, hey Chuck, yeah, could I say, yeah, at, at Team Burningham on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, we're at Team Burningham, most actively on Facebook. But yeah, that's another place to see a ton of my videos, a ton of my speeches, you know, see the op-eds that I've written at Team Birmingham. That's the place to go on Facebook. Awesome. And especially in this coronavirus um, 
time that we're in, I found that a lot of the campaigns are very open to having people call or reach out. So honestly, if you have any questions, please reach out to, to Jeff and let him know what you need to know from him so that you can, you know, support him or, you know, whatever at the convention. So. Thanks Chuck. It's good to meet you on the phone. Look forward to meeting you in person soon. Yep. Absolutely. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up. Um, till next time, Max out.